certain Sufi teacher was giving, delivering a lecture once, and he said there are many, many things that need to be heard more than once before we truly understand them. And somebody raised their hand and said, excuse me, could you repeat that? (laughs) They weren't trying to be funny. (laughs) So there are things we repeat. And uh, that's a true story. And sometimes it seems to me that we've said these things so many times, especially when I, in my own mind, there's decades of talking. And so I think, I must have said this at least 20 times here, but no, things bear repeating. So last week, last Saturday night, we started to consider the subject of awakening the latent qualities within the human being. And there is a sort of metaphysical context here that I think is really important to understand and always keep in mind. Um, We turn our hearts and our minds, our souls, to the infinite, which is the source of everything. Uh, That's what worship is when we were just sitting together, the reminder was be empty, give your full attention uh, to being face to face with an infinite source of love and grace. It actually occurred to me, though I didn't verbalize it, that we each are sitting face to face with our beloved If we could experience that, beloved, in an ungendered way, to feel the power of that, our concentration, our presence would surely deepen. And that really is our situation. Maybe there's a moment here and there where we might actually experience something close to that. The metaphysical context here is that there is this divine source, which is the source of everything. The source of every quality, every strength, every virtue, every capacity that a human being would value. And yet, that source is not exterior to ourselves, not separate from ourselves, and is quite literally deposited within us as well. Uh, In Sufism, it's referred to as the hidden treasure. And that hidden treasure contains all of the attributes of the divine, all the holy names of God. So, if we call on God, the all-knowing, in some sense that all-knowingness is within us. If we call on God, the most forgiving, that quality of forgivingness is also in us. In the traditions of Anatolia, which is sort of one of the immediate sources that we draw upon in the Mevlevi tradition, there is an ancient humanism that has existed there for a long, long time. An emphasis on the human being, 
almost a worship of the human being, not the human being in and of itself, and not the human being as we know the human being in our highly individualized uh, contemporary culture, but the human being as a being who uh, has extraordinary capacities, the carrier of the divine essence, the carrier of the divine names. So that's why in Anatolia, in various Sufi traditions, they will say, this is the religion of the human being, not the religion of God. Because it's through the human being that we discover God, through the human being that we find God. <laughs> so, of course, it's always um, a both-and situation. And the kind of humanism that we're talking about here, the mystical Sufi humanism, um, is, as I said, very distinct from the individual, hyper-individualism of our contemporary consumer society. So, the theme for this month is prayer, and I'd like to also add the word dhikr. Prayer and dhikr are techniques for awakening our, the latent divine qualities within our being. <laughs> they say that the purpose of spirituality is the end point is the complete human being and the complete human being is understood as a being who has activated the whole palette of divine attributes and has the capacity at will to draw upon this whole spectrum of qualities that may mean that sometimes such a being is latif, extremely subtle, gentle, and at times aziz, mighty, incredible, divine strength. The complete human being is the one who can be Rahman, who can be a continual outpouring of grace for all of humanity, for a sinner and saint, for the forgetful and the mindful, the rough man, we can be that. And we can also be the muntakim, which is translated, mistranslated as the vengeful, as if God could ever be vengeful, but God cannot be vengeful, but God can be the one who rebalances things that have gone wrong and persisted in that cruelty and that injustice. And then Al-Muntakim comes in and says, Stop. Enough. <clears throat> and it's interesting that Muntakim in the Quran uh, is usually paired with Afu, which means the the one who erases faults, sins, mistakes. It's like a hyper-forgiveness. Afu is the one who forgives so thoroughly that what was to be forgiven 
doesn't even exist anymore. It's like the steps uh, in the sand that are just blown away by the wind. So Muntakim is often paired with Afu, uh, or it might be paired with Hakim, the wise, I think. I'll check. Um, so anyway, the divine names are often paired, and that's also significant in if you were to choose a divine name to invoke for yourself. And tonight I'll pass out a sheet that has uh, 18 of the 99 names that are particularly um, beneficial. And anybody in associated with this community could benefit from so that you have some scope, some possibility of, of choosing. You don't necessarily need a shape to give you a name that may occur occasionally. But you also have your own self-activating part in this, uh, self-initiating part. So this is the metaphysical situation. This is the structure of the human being. The human being is a complete hologram of the divine reality, possessing in some sense even the, the essence, which is creative will, freedom. All of the divine attributes, all of those beauties are there latent in us, and there are various ways to call them forth. Life may call them forth, necessity may draw them out of us, crisis may activate something that otherwise wouldn't be activated. This also is part of the divine mercy. This is why there's no complaining on the Sufi path. There's no excuse for complaining, just as there's no justification for fear. Everything is a gift, everything is purposeful. And every situation of life is given to us, potentially to awaken qualities of the soul that would otherwise remain latent. So that's the beauty of our situation, if we rise to it, we accept it, if we accept that uh, responsibility. And as I'll repeat again and again, it's a both-and situation on the one hand. Uh, we, in and of ourselves, we really are nothing, we really are beggars. Um, in and of ourselves, we are likely to make mistakes and go wrong and be weak. That is the nature of the isolated individual self, which thinks itself autonomous and thinks itself independent. On the other hand, the self that can <clears throat> rise above our vanity, self-importance, pride, and realize our need for a relationship with infinite being, with infinite mercy, that self becomes a very, very different kind of self, 
and becomes the embodiment of the divine purpose on earth. The Khalifa is how we call it. The caretaker, the representative of God on earth. Every one of us is that. This is all very clearly established in, in the Holy Quran. This is not some Sufi interpretation. This is uh, very clear, you might say, if you like the word, orthodox. Um, I would say this is intrinsically the religion of humanity, the primordial religion of humanity. The original Islam that is goes back to the beginnings of the human being on earth. Our need for the divine is absolute. And the divine's love for us is absolute. So meanwhile, we're in this process of activation, of learning to activate what we what we are to activate it in relationship and to activate it by will, by our own will, by that part of ourselves that can recognize, for instance, um, to notice the qualities we lack. If we lack a capacity for forgiveness, well, we can name that and we can either invoke the divine name, Yagafur, you who are the most forgiving. Uh, and we can also simply call to the infinite and say, Oh, beloved friend, I see that I'm not able to forgive. I carry resentment. I carry blame. But I want to be free of this. I don't want to live this way. Help me bring your quality of Gafur into my soul, awaken it. It's supposed to be there. Please, show me. Make it real. So, I'm going to pass these out because this is a sheet that has 18 divine names Right in the middle of the page. <clears throat> It'll be a little bit short. I should be able to guess better than I do tonight as to how many people will be here. Um, I can pass this one over to you. If some of the people who are couples, naturally are couples, um, or friends, fellow travelers, <laughs> carpoolers, <laughs> I think you'll make it. So, this is just meant to make it a bit easy for us, because I, 
I realize it may be daunt, seem daunting, but um, Camille, could you read the 18 names for us? 18 beloved divine names suitable for your practice. Yakarim, generous, noble. Yawadud, loving. Yarahim, merciful. Ya'alim, knowing. Yakadr, all powerful. Yahak, the true reality. Yahai, ever living. Yasabr, patient. Yahakim, wise. Yasalam, peace, soundness. Yahalim, forbearing. Yakudus, holy. Pure Yawahab bestowing Yarazak sustainer Yalatif subtle in giving Yafata opener Yahadi guide Yanur light. This week I chose a name that I was relatively unfamiliar with, Aziz. At first I thought of a very dear friend, Abdulaziz Saeed, who was till recently taught at American University and was a great educator of hearts and diplomats and generals and one of the great human rights educators in America. And I thought, I got the significance of his name, because Aziz means mighty. Um, it also means precious and dear, but uh, the, it's a powerful, powerful name. And it was not until I lived with it for most of a week that I began to sort of follow some of the implications out. I mean, some of this is mental, some of it's a matter of reflection, some of it just sort of comes upon you in the process. You make a call to the infinite, you know, you send your, your, your freedom of information request to the infinite, and something eventually comes back, either in lit circumstances or uh, in insight or in the very legitimate process of intellectual reflection. And um, I saw that Aziz occurs in the Quran many times as a warning. And I hadn't really considered that, particularly as a warning to societies. And it's also connected with, it often occurs Aziz wa Rahim, the mighty and the merciful, or Aziz and Wahakim, the mighty and the just or wise, 
the wise. So even in that function of Aziz, of, of mighty power, it's paired with wisdom. It's paired with mercy. So it was inevitable that I would reflect on the world today and various societies, including our own. What is what does Aziz mean for us, for America? What does Aziz mean for other countries, other societies? And then another way I reflected on it when I realized um, you know, sometimes we don't feel we have the strength to do something that that could be done, that maybe should be done, and we say, oh no, I'm not strong enough for that. And we just back off and we default. Maybe Aziz is also a support to take us a step further than we thought we could go. So on the one hand, Allah is Aziz, God is Aziz, God is the only mighty, uh, almighty power. At the same time, we cannot escape the uh, realization and truth that we are to embody more and more of these qualities. How beautiful that there is this almost protective pairing that goes on. Aziz wa Hakim, mighty but wise. Aziz wa Rahim, mighty but merciful. So, I'm curious, remember those of you who were here on Saturday night, it was proposed that before you leave the door, you leave with a divine name <coughs> in your heart's best pocket. <coughs> so, does anybody want to share anything about your experience with a divine name. So the human being is activated. We have a, have a self-activating responsibility. There is a part for us to play. There is a place for human will. It's not the whole story. But it's essential. So another way to put this, and I'm not going to keep on talking, I'm going to go back to the question I just asked. 
but the point I want to make is I want to drive this home. This teaching has to be lived. It's not intellectual. It's not a, you know, it's not a literary salon for Thursday nights. It has to be lived. Otherwise, if it remains an intellectual pastime, one can accumulate lots of knowledge. Book knowledge, literary knowledge. But how much lived knowledge do we have? Now I've scared you all to death, so nobody's going to speak. <laughs> Um, usually translated as the finder, mm-hmm. the perceiver also. And I thought since we're looking to activate the things from within, that would be appropriate to, mm-hmm. to go. Yes. Watch it. It's, a, <coughs> it's verbal form it means he finds. What does he find? What's to be found? I watched Inshallah, myself, maybe. Maybe? Yes. There are two important words connected with wajid. Wujud, being and watched ecstasy. When you find being, when your wajid finds wujud, (laughs) it will know watched ecstasy. How beautiful. See, this is why, this is why we, we use Arabic and not Portuguese, with all respect. I think Portuguese students here. Or even Persian. Uh, beautiful language. Or Turkish. Or Latin. Or Sanskrit. All great languages. Uh, but there's this hidden objective revelatory power in the syntax, the grammar, and the vocabulary of this language. So, ujud is the word for being. They also say existence. Sometimes it's used to mean just this earthly existence. But the Sufis know that true existence is the divine being. That's the only real existence. Everything else is relative or dependent. So he is the wajid, the finder. He found all of this. Found you. Now you will find him and yourself in the process. The only thing to find is being. That's everything. 
it sounds abstract. It's a beautiful poem. I wish I could quote it adequately. But Mivlana says, you know, when, when that being un- unfurls its, its real beauty, everything else, all of existence, sort of recedes. Appearances are seen to be mere appearances, and the power of being is the reality that animates everything. That is in you as yourself. see that as um, being a clear guide where other th- if clearing the way so to speak mm-hmm. well Rahman is, is so fundamental that it is virtually the equivalent of, of Allah in our book in fact there's a verse in the Quran that says, whether you call Allah or Rahman, it's the same. Um, and when that word was first revealed <clears throat> at the time of the Prophet, it, from what I've read, it was a surprise because it was a word that was not commonly in use. And yet the syntax of Arabic grammar was such that you only had to say it and people got it instantly because it means the most super compassionate. It's like the compassionatist. (laughs) And most compassionate. And it just like hit people with incredible power. Oh, we never thought about that. We just thought of compassion that degree of compassion we hadn't conceived of. There's also, you should, you could, 
study Sura Rahman. Rahman, Alamel Quran, the compassionate taught the Quran, taught the book. Uh, and the book is also you, and the book is nature, the book is existence. The true Quran is all of that, it's the book of God. <coughs> Yeah, look at that surah. It awakened something beautiful. It's a beautiful surah. You could even, if you needed a little memorization project, oh, memorize the first 10 or 12 ayats of that. Yeah, very beautiful. It'll deepen something. Because the Rahman also taught Al-Bayan, which is uh, articulate speech. And that's a gift to the human being. Articulate speech is uh, a key that unlocks sacred meaning, truth. As I looked down the list of the full maybe this is my limited capacity because I don't understand how some of them, like how I can embody some of these. Um, when you were reading earlier, Yahak, the true reality, um, I, I guess I've never even thought of myself being able to have a capacity like that, so I don't understand. Yeah, no, that's a very good question. You know, it's a very beautiful thing among, especially dervishes from, typically from Iran. They greet each other with yahak. Just as in Hinduism you would, you would say namaste. It's a little bit like that. Yahak, but it's so powerful. Um... I'll just say something really outrageous and say, I'm going to propose to tell you what truth is. I know that's outrageous. It sounds presumptuous. Um, but f I'm limiting this truth to the truth for the human being because I can't say what the truth is for the galaxy, but it may be the same. <coughs> the truth for the human being is knowing that you are integral to the divine. You could say one with, I don't want to say part of, because that's, there are no parts. The realization, uh, the ultimate truth for the human being is to know that. And that's enlightenment. I once asked one of our friends, one of our very respected friends, this question. I said, is enlightenment 20,000 years ago the same as enlightenment today? And this is somebody whose answer I would trust. <coughs> because I was really looking for, you might say, verification. And uh, he said, yes, it's the same. 
so enlightenment of a almost Neanderthal person. Same as enlightenment today. But, and there's a big but, the but is, but the level of cultural development may be very different. Enlightenment being the realization of one's unity with the divine. And yet, life 5,000 years ago is very different from life today. There's a lot more gratuitous killing then, for instance. There was even human sacrifice in the name of religion in Abraham's time. But the being who would know the truth of that divine intimacy, of that divine oneness, is embodying Hawk. It's living Hawk. Now it's all relative, and we don't need to get involved with absolutes because the human beings, uh, it would be fair to say that the human being cannot know God absolutely on God's own terms we would be presumably obliterated by that experience but there is an experience that's possible for the human being and it's and it's a great experience it's a huge experience um, but there also you might say, relative gradations of it. Hak also means to, to be right and true. And when we use the word human rights, we use the same word, the same hak. Hak, a human right, is a hak. It's a right that a human being has. Really, it's very close to what the founders of our republic had to say. You know, uh, I forget how Thomas Jefferson put it, but, you know, we are endowed with certain inalienable rights. And those rights are not given to us by any government or by any religion. They're given to us by Hak. Hak gives the Haks, the Hakaik. Um, so, even in a small way, when we are just, when we do the right thing, when we do what is fair, when we attempt to see without distortion, that's getting closer to Hak. It's not the ultimate, it's not enlightenment experience of Hak, but it is, it is embodying Hak. 